Welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast, which can be heard on VHHA.com, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and wherever you get podcasts. We're a member of the Public Health Podcast Network, the Virginia Audio Collective, and the Family Podcast Network. Podcast episodes also air each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, and 820 a.m. across Central Virginia, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Please send questions, comments, feedback, or guest suggestions to pcfpodcast at VHHA.com. Again, that's PCF Podcast at VHHA.com. And today we are happy to be joined by Virginia State Health Commissioner Dr. Karen Shelton for a conversation about her career, the work of the Virginia Department of Health in promoting public health, and much more. So, welcome, Dr. Shelton. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Julie. Appreciate you having me today. Well, we appreciate you making the time to be with us. So by way of introduction, Dr. Shelton is an OBGYN who spent the first part of her career in clinical practice in Bristol before transitioning to public health in 2016 as a leader of the Mount Rogers Health District in Southwest Virginia, as well as acting director in two other districts during a tenure that spanned the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Shelton has also worked in hospital leadership and was earlier this year appointed state health commissioner by Governor Youngkin. Beyond those few details, Dr. Shelton, what should people know about you and your work? Well, Julian, I love working with patients. I enjoyed the first 19 to 20 years of my career as an OBGYN and really enjoyed that one-on-one patient interaction as far as education, prevention, and treatment of various diseases specific in women's health. As I looked at next career options, I looked at public health and was very excited about the possibility. And during my public health career, just learned so much as I began to focus on not just one-on-one patient health, but how do we look at the health of a whole community or a whole region? And so that was a great time for me as I I learned to think more broadly about what makes health a reality for people. And certainly did appreciate going back and getting some acute care hospital experience as far as what that phase looks like. But now, again, transitioning in public health to a whole statewide lens of what does it look like when we talk about health for those in our commonwealth. So very excited for the opportunities I've been given along the way to impact health in a positive way. And you mentioned a statewide lens, and that's a transition to having a broader conversation about public health through the lens of the Virginia Department of Health. Public health, for the benefit of our listeners, in simple terms, could be characterized as the work of preventing disease, prolonging life, and promoting health on a more community or societal level through a range of coordinated activities. Agencies like the Virginia Department of Health, which you are the leader of as commissioner, work independently and collaboratively to help advance public health through a variety of programs that focus on everything from food and drinking water safety, to immunizations, to rural health, to disease surveillance and monitoring, and so much more. So for the benefit of our listeners, can you provide a a sense or an overview of the scope and the breadth of the work that VDH does that impacts people's daily lives, even if they don't perhaps recognize it? Yes, I could probably talk for about two or three days straight on all the things that we do at the Virginia Department of Health. But I always kind of like to think back to where did public health start? And it really started with what we call Public Health 1.0, which was basic sanitation, clean drinking water, and safe food. And, you know, we still carry out those functions today when we even look at, you know, our Office of Drinking Water and focusing on clean water for people in the Commonwealth. And we also look at proper sanitation, whether it has to do through wastewater treatment or on-site systems for a home or in a community. And then we also look at our restaurants, you know, inspections, making sure that all is well with our food safety and promoting that throughout our restaurants to the Commonwealth. We also look at diseases. And as we look at diseases, how do we 
prevent diseases? How do we have surveillance on diseases so we can see what's coming in our community? I think about, again, the origins of public health, and we think about antibiotics when they first started coming up and how that was a great advancement for civilization. We also think about vaccine and the prevention of disease and what that looks like as far as so many more diseases now that we can prevent through vaccination to prevent devastation of disease within our community. So we kind of look back to where we come from and then look to where we're going. We focus now on what are the emerging new diseases. We've just come through a pandemic and spent a whole three years focusing on COVID and our work with the community on that disease. We look forward to what would be the emerging diseases in the future, and we look to plan for that and to how can we meet those needs. So it really does have a whole broad range of things, not even touched on, but we look at chronic disease, we look at prevention, and we look at our communities. We want to make sure that there are healthy opportunities in our communities, and how do we work with our localities, our community organizations, our local governments, and other stakeholders in the community to really promote health and protect the well-being of the community? What are the things that we need to make sure that health opportunity is available for everyone? And as you mentioned, even thinking about food security and access to health care and housing and transportation and all the things that go into making a community well. Well, it's quite a substantial portfolio, that's for sure. You talked just a moment ago about some of the many things that VDH does. In your role as commissioner, What are some of the goals that you've established or some of the areas that you really want to focus on? Because obviously there's so much, so many functions that the agency does on a day-to-day basis. What are some of your specific goals? Well, certainly to support our agency. Again, having come through COVID, there's been a lot of work been done within the public health field. And so we have a lot of work within our agency supporting our workers and supporting our employees and what they're doing, helping provide them wellness and resilience as we turn towards the next thing that we focus on. Also workforce development, not just for our agency, but for healthcare across the state. We know that there's been a great toll on healthcare workforce across the state. So working with our community partners to prepare the next generation for healthcare is certainly a focus. Also, we know that the opioid overdose crisis has been a problem for not only the Commonwealth, but for the nation and the world. And so we look at the opioid crisis as first declared in 2016 and some of the work we did then. It was a little bit stalled throughout the COVID pandemic for the other focus we had. But now as we refocus our efforts on our overdose prevention and help for those with addiction and how do we meet people where they are and to try to get people into long-term recovery, preventing overdose deaths, and educating our population to know that people are not alone as they may be dealing with addiction or overdose crisis, and how do we give them the tools and resources they need to combat that within a family, within a workforce, and within a community. Another big focus, uh, given my history as an OBGYN, is our maternal child health aspect. And so we want to, we have a lot of great programs going on through the state. And so just looking at all the different directions that we're going with that and, and refocusing efforts along that line and what we can do. Are there any gaps, things that we're missing, and what can we do to make sure that we're giving every opportunity for our moms and our children to have the best opportunity starting out and going forward? Well, you covered a lot of topics, all of them important workforce development you highlighted. Certainly, that's something from the hospital community's perspective that is a real need. We all know about, as you said, some of the burnout challenges, some of the staffing shortages that were certainly magnified during the pandemic. And so a lot of work, as you say, on the state level with the General Assembly, with the governor's office has been done to try to really strengthen and reinforce that training and education pipeline so that we have future practitioners, nurses, doctors, behavioral health clinicians to meet 
the care needs that we know are, are coming in the future. So certainly that, and as you said, staff wellness is a component of that, and then maternal health, and then obviously behavioral health and substance use challenges, which we're going to touch on in a little bit, but certainly a lot of energy and attention has been focused on that in the current administration with the Right Help Right Now plan again, which we'll get to in just a minute. Before we do, though, I do want to talk, since you mentioned a few moments ago, vaccination and immunization. We're recording this with Dr. Shelton in early October, which is when cold and flu season really starts to intensify as we stretch through the fall and into the winter, and then flu season really continues even into the spring. With the continuing presence of influenza, RSV, and COVID-19, as you mentioned, Dr. Shelton, all looming as health threats, one message that the healthcare community continues to promote is vaccination, such as the annual flu shot or updated COVID boosters, to really try to protect against either contracting uh, these viruses or to reduce the severity of symptoms if the virus is contracted. We know that the flu shot reduces the risk of illness and serious symptoms, yet rates among U.S. adults have hovered around 50% the past few years. So I wonder, as we are on the eve of flu season, what is your message to the public regarding flu shots as we head into the winter? That's a great question, Julian. We do know that with what is being called now in public health the triple-demic, looking forward into the respiratory season as we think about flu, RSV, and COVID, we look back a little bit to where we've been over the last few years. Certainly, we're thankful that we've just come through a little bit of an increase of COVID, but we're thankful that it wasn't as high as it has been over the last two years as far as the percent of illness that we've seen in our population. We do know that we anticipate that, as has been in previous years, that with the holiday season coming up, we typically see another increase as we go into late November through December and into the first of the year. So we'll be looking to see what that looks like. Again, thankfully, this last peak that we've had over late August and through September has not been as high as previous years, so that's been good. We also look at when it comes to flu, we do heavily rely on the Southern Hemisphere to see what they've done this last year. We know that last year flu was particularly hard hit in Virginia, and compared to the previous years, it did come a little earlier and was a little higher in its peaks as far as when we look at a percent of ED visits and that sort of a thing. In the Southern Hemisphere, they had a harder flu season last year, but then this past year, the one that they're just now coming through was not as high as last year. So we're hoping if it's favorable that we will follow the same pattern, which we often do, is that perhaps we will have a little less flu as far as the peaks of those affected. We do know, however, that people should take all precautions regarding flu, and specifically if they have, if they're elderly or have any medical illnesses, that getting that flu vaccine is especially important. And it's important for those who are not elderly and have those medical illnesses that they get the flu vaccine as well, because that's really how we protect those around us, is the more people who can get the flu vaccine, the less spread we have of the flu. And therefore, we call that kind of that immunity where we can help others alongside. But we look toward that as far as it. we know that flu vaccine does help to reduce the severity of disease if you do get it and does help to reduce hospitalizations if you do get it. So we champion that. We also look at the RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, and that last year was a higher peak for us than has been previously seen. So uh, we'll be looking toward this season to see how that affects us. There is an RSV vaccine out now for those who are 65 or older and also one for infants that's available. So as we look at that triple epidemic again, what are the things that we can do to prevent, you know, from each of these things? And uh, one of the biggest 
I think precautions that we can all have is just being mindful of illness. So if you are sick, you should stay home and you should stay home until you've been without a fever for at least 24 hours without fever reducing medication. If you cough, you should cough into your sleeve and you should wash your hands frequently or use hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer does help with both COVID and the flu. So we want everyone to take precautions to keep themselves as healthy and well as possible throughout this uh, coming respiratory season. All good advice. Get your flu shot and take those personal health and hygiene safety precautions. We mentioned, and you referenced this a few minutes ago, the opioid crisis. Earlier this year, Governor Youngkin issued an executive order to mobilize state agencies to take action in response to the fentanyl crisis as part of the Right Help Right Now Behavioral Health Reform Initiative. Fentanyl is a synthetic opioid that's highly addicting and is the cause of a growing number of drug overdose deaths in Virginia, which is a significant cause of fatality drug overdose deaths in the Commonwealth. From the VDH perspective, What charge do you and the agency have in supporting the execution of that directive from the governor? BDH has been very involved in combating the opioid crisis, like I said, since back in 2016 when it was when it was first initiated. Certainly, the executive order had several things that BDH has responsibility for and also in partnership with other agencies. As you mentioned, we're an ongoing part of the Right Help Right Now initiative, which is really crucial, especially when we think about substance use disorder and addiction. We know that many of the reasons for these conditions are behavioral or mental health issues, so people may be self-medicating when it comes to the use of various substances. So we do want to make sure that people's mental well-being is addressed, and so the Right Help Right Now initiative, through a variety of different work, is making behavioral health more accessible throughout the Commonwealth and crisis intervention as well. We do look at the 988 crisis hotline for mental health crisis, also as a great tool that has come about, so that's been very important. Where VDH specifically comes in under Executive Order 26 are some of the things that we've had ongoing. We look at naloxone, which is a reversal agent for an opioid overdose that can help prevent death, and so we have been very active in naloxone distribution since before the pandemic, and so we continue with that. We have been charged with a plan, and so we've come up with a plan working in collaboration with other state agencies to help increase the supply of naloxone to those at greatest need throughout the Commonwealth and really focusing on our efforts on areas where there is higher risk for overdose deaths. So we champion working alongside our state agencies and other community partners really largely in this area. We also look at our work through the Executive Order 26. Uh, we put together a plan for wastewater surveillance, which is a program by which we could look at to see certain opioid substances within the wastewater and areas that might benefit from increased education and naloxone distribution within those areas if we see an increase in fentanyl in those areas. Um, that plan has been presented. We also have charge over the, the case fatality review, so looking at overdose fatalities and how we might stand up a team of community partners that can look at overdoses in a community and see what we can do to better prevent those overdoses. We also, as a result of Senate Bill 1415, have been looking at an opioid impact registry, which would help to consolidate a available tools for substance use intervention and for opioid, any impacts from opioid use that might be a, a resource in a community where people can readily go to a, a place and look at options where they may find help for various things for which they are seeking, whether it's substance use treatment, whether it's naloxone, whether it's harm reduction, and several different things along that manner. 
We also look at comprehensive harm reduction, and that's something we've had ongoing to make sure that we have the ability to uh, work within a community to reduce the harms of substance use, whether it's referral to care or linkage to care and other harm reduction that can come from substance use. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of work going on in this initiative. It's obviously an important work focused on, you know, addressing folks with substance use challenges, getting them the care they need, the treatment they need, and the direct intervention, you know, when we're talking about a potential overdose and situations that could be life or death. So good to hear that that work is ongoing. I appreciate you giving us that rundown, Dr. Shelton. We are almost done, but before we go, we do have a tradition here on the podcast to ask our guests a pair of fun questions to close things out. We have a list of 10 mystery questions to keep things interesting. So if you would, please select two numbers between 1 and 10, and I will read you the corresponding questions. 3 and 7. Okay, 3. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received, and why does it stick with you? (laughs) The best piece of advice I have ever received, and why does it stick with me? So I don't know that this will speak to everyone, but for (laughs) my wedding day, the best piece of advice that I received was, to make sure that I was not in charge of anything on my wedding day, that I had delegated all responsibilities so that when I woke up in the morning, someone took me through the day and made sure that I was everywhere on time, which was very key for me, and that all aspects of things were taken care of, and that served me very well on my wedding day. I'm not sure that's the kind of advice you wanted. No, it's time. listen, any, any advice applies. And I, <laughs> listen, I think it makes sense. If I mean, it's, it's, if it's a fun question, there you go. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I think the reality is, I mean, what that speaks to is being present, living in the moment, and sort of trying to soak that experience in as opposed to sometimes being so fixated on the details that we miss sort of the forest for the trees. So I actually think that's good advice. And then you also select. I like your interpretation. (laughs) (laughs) Looking for the silver lining here. And then number seven, you selected, if you could choose one superpower to have or any one skill to instantly master, what would it be and why? One superpower to have or a skill to master. I think if I had a superpower, it would be the ability to get to one place quickly. So super, (laughs) super speed. Far away, super speed. Yeah, super speed to get to one place quickly and to be able to just kind of magically appear there. <laughs> well, that's, Transporter power. I don't yeah, know if that just, it's, it's a way to maximize your time, cut down on the travel. No, I just like, would like to be in so many places, but I just can't be everywhere I want to be all the time. So I, I would like to, to be able to get there more quickly. That is anybody who has sat in traffic on a highway road trip can certainly relate to that. Well, listen... I want to thank you, Dr. Shelton, for spending a few moments with us today and for telling us about yourself and about some of the work that you're doing as State Health Commissioner with the Virginia Department of Health. And with that, that's going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are available. We want to once again thank our guest, Dr. Karen Shelton, who is the Virginia State Health Commissioner, for joining us today. So thank you. Thank you so much, Julie. appreciate you having me today.